0: Hi everyone, it's a joy to speak to you today as we start this month with an exciting sermon series called Hope for the City. Throughout this month, we'll be taking a journey across all the ministries of HTBB to explore what it means to have and bear the hope of Christ for this city of Kuala Lumpur. And if you're watching this from a different city, don't worry, this is also for you. We will see in today's passage that God brings us to particular places for particular reasons. And wherever you are, my prayer is that this series gives you a vision for your city as well. So have you ever faced a difficult situation only to be told to look on the bright side of life? Maybe someone has told you, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You know, I sometimes think nothing could be more annoying. That's when I came across these alternative lemon quotes. This one is the first. When life gives you lemons, throw them back. When life gives you lemons, plant its seeds, grow yourself an orchard, sell it to Sunkist. When life gives you lemons, you tell life to get a life because lemons are a terrible gift. And this is my favorite. When life gives you lemons, ask for Limal because limo ice is better. We are going to be reading a letter from God through the prophet Jeremiah to a people who were given lemons in life. But it isn't just a case of being given a bad deal. This was a life-changing, traumatic change in their lives. This letter was to a people who were conquered, then exiled, taken from their homeland, brought into the strange and foreign city-state of Babylon, the superpower of the world. And into this context, we read Jeremiah 29. Here's Jeremiah 29, verse 1 to 11. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, prophets, and to all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, King of Judah sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. In those days, there were false prophets prophesying that their exile would soon come to an end. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen. Kuala Lumpur is a city of 8.6 million people, and we are some of them. But did you know that it is a city of outsiders? It has always been. From the colonial period, when some of our great-grandparents moved in, to current times, Malaysia's highest concentration of refugees and migrants have always been found here in KL. In 2014, it was estimated that there were more than 2.5 million documented migrants and up to 2 million undocumented migrants in KL itself. But being outsiders isn't just a foreigner's experience here. According to UNESCO, about half of the Malaysian population in the Klang Valley were born in other Malaysian states. Now, for many of us, this has been a city that we came to but were not born in. And this makes KL a city comprised of people who are away from home. I think this is why there are some interesting parallels between our modern city life and the lives of the people in exile in Babylon in the text that we just read. The context is this, the year is 597 BC and the Babylonian empire under King Nebuchadnezzar has attacked Jerusalem for the second time. And he does something with particularly unruly nations that he tries to conquer. What he does is he takes the professional classes of people, about 3,000 of them, and exiles them into the Babylonian city-state. And the rest of the Jews are left behind in Israel, including Jeremiah, who writes from Jerusalem. Because Nebuchadnezzar knows that by removing the leaders and all the cultural influences of Israel and displacing them to Babylon, the people would eventually lose their identity and they would assimilate into Babylonian culture. It would be a sure and slow adoption into the wider empire. And as this happens, Jeremiah, the prophet of God, sends a letter to these exiles with a message from God. And the contents of the letter are nothing short of mind-blowing for the ancient people of the world. God tells them not to resist their captors. And then He tells these exiles in Babylon to do three things, to live there, to lead there, and to love there. The first thing that God says to the exiles is to live there. In verse four, we read these surprising words. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I have carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now let's hold on for a moment here. Didn't it say that in verse one, Nebuchadnezzar had carried the people into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon? Later on, we read in verse four and seven that God had carried the people into exile. So who did it? What Jeremiah was saying here is that social forces and circumstances might have brought you to this place, but God was in it. It was not circumstantial, but providential. And I believe that that applies to us here today as well. You may have come to KL because of work, Maybe you came to KL because you followed family. According to the Department of Statistics, the highest reason for internal migration in Malaysia is because people follow their family and children and spouses are often the forgotten people of migration. Now, social forces might have brought you to this place, but God used them to bring you here. The Russian novelist, Dostoevsky wrote these words, the mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. And God will bring hope to this city when His people embrace their purpose for this city. So what was the purpose for the Hebrew exiles in Babylon? To grow and to bring growth. Take a look at verse five. It says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. And then it says this, increase in number there, do not decrease. In other words, do this two things. Number one, make this your home, even though this isn't your home of origin. And number two, care for this place as if the people most important to you, like your children and family, will be raised here. You see, it's one thing to accept your captivity and endure under the hardship. It's another to flourish in the place of your captivity to grow outside your comfort zone. When Jacinta and I graduated from university more than 10 years ago, we were really excited to work in KL City. Uh, We had done about four years of long distance relationship by this point and our education seemed to point us towards a career in KL. But this plan never materialized. About four months before we graduated, I was in a prayer meeting at church one Friday night when the pastor said these words, we have a church plant down in Malacca and the church is struggling there without a team of leaders. Tonight, let's pray for a person who can relocate to help the team there. And that night, as I prayed for that person who can go, I said a simple prayer, God send someone to help the team there. And I heard a simple reply from God. You are praying for someone to go? What if that man is you? That night I gave Jacinta a Skype call and I told her the bad news that our plans would change. It would be another two years of long distance relationship, this time between KL and Malacca before we could be reunited. And for the next two years, I worked two roles as a lay pastor with this small church plant in uh, over the weekends. And then during the week, I was a full-time English teacher in a high-need secondary school in the town of Gamas under Teach for Malaysia. And you know, if I'm honest, during those two years, I felt like the world was moving on fast without me. As my friends moved on into amazing careers, as Jacinta returned to Malaysia to also work with Teach for Malaysia, I often felt alone and far away in the quiet town of Gemas. And for those two years, I lived with people who were different from my usual crowds. I spoke more Malay than English for those two years. My colleagues and I were far from the usual comforts of the city. And to the lovely people of Gemas, I was a walking irony. This Chinese boy from KL who can't speak Mandarin, who goes off to Malacca on Saturdays to run a church and who really misses the city because his girlfriend is there, I didn't fit any of the racial and cultural stereotypes of the place. One day at school, while I was um, teaching and looking through the attendance list, I noticed that one of my students, Ayin, hadn't been coming to school for two weeks. Ayin is not her real name, and she was one of my promising students in my class. And you know, for my students, English wasn't just a second language, it was a foreign language. No one used it unless they learned it in school. But for Ayin, she was a quick learner and she clearly loved the language. So I called her house and I wanted to check up on her. And I asked her, Ain, kenapa sudah lama tak datang ke sekolah? Why haven't you been coming to school for so long? And she paused for a long time and over the line, she told me that she was embarrassed to come back to school. Embarrassed because her nose had been broken. And my heart sank as I realized that she was the victim of domestic abuse. And for the next few days, I learned that Ayan was moved to another home, that her auntie was now protecting her. And when she came back to school, she was like a different person, no longer that confident, curious person that she used to be. And you know, something almost woke up in me that moment. At first, I was really angry at Ayan's situation. How could this happen to someone who could have been my own sister? And then I felt really embarrassed at myself. You see, Ayan needed a good male figure in her life, more than ever. And what was I doing with my influence? I had been too preoccupied, pitying myself, not realizing how much privilege and influence I had to make a difference in another person's life. One day we learned about an interschool English competition that was going to take place for our school. It was open to our students in my school. And it would involve students brainstorming ideas and then pitching them to a team of judges in English to win funding for the school to implement those projects and I knew immediately who to pick, Ayn. And for the next few months, in that scorching, gemass afternoon heat, my colleagues and I would practice and train Ayn and her friends to represent our school in this English competition. They won in that competition. And when I saw Ayn walk up that stage to receive her award that day, I learned an important lesson about purpose. We can spend so much time and energy consumed with what we think we lack, at the cost of missing out how much we can give to the world. Maybe God is telling you today, don't let your sorrows hinder your sowing. What would it look like if we see the people of our city as if they were our own family? What would happen in our workplaces, homes and schools if we see our tasks not just as things to complete, but as a world to build for our children? In verse six, we read, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Now you may be thinking, well, I'm not a parent. I'm not even married. I don't see myself as a father or a mother. And that would be true of HDBB. In a recent census, we took uh, with 888 participants. I think that's a good name of a very good Chinese restaurant. We learned that 56% of HDBB members are singles, and up to 97% of us live in KL and Selangor. And some of my favorite leaders and spiritual parents I know are single people. Paul had many spiritual sons. John the Baptist prepared many followers for the coming Jesus. Joseph was a single when he made some of his greatest contributions to Egypt. And Jesus himself changed the face of the earth while being a single. If single people don't see themselves as spiritual parents, the world would be spiritually orphaned. You see, to have sons and daughters doesn't just refer to physical children, but to grow your spiritual family. And when God told the exiles to increase in number, He was calling them to be present, to be involved, to take responsibility and to invest in the city, not to hold back. Now what's interesting is that in HTBB, according to our census, the demographic of people who are most engaged in family life, in the home, in investing in the health and life of their families are not the parents or even the married people, but the singles. Singles are often the least celebrated, most underrepresented group by virtue of their perceived lack. And yet the Bible tells us that singlehood is not just a period of lack, but a period of fullness. God can do some of His best work here. But maybe you are not a single. Maybe you are married and your marriage feels less like a union and more like a transaction. Maybe you're a parent. And if you're honest, family life has been simply draining. Maybe exile for you isn't a place, but a season in life. The fact is, whether we're single, married, parenting, or working, or retired, the social forces that led us to our places can also make us feel like exiles against our will. And this discontentment can lead to impatience. And so in verse 8, God warns the exiles. He says this, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. And here God warns against the false hopes of swift return given by the false prophets. He instead says, actually, you're going to be here for a while, for 70 years exactly, a lifetime, but don't lose heart. In fact, bring hope to this city. The message of Jeremiah is this, don't long for Jerusalem at the expense of being fruitful in Babylon. Beware the tendency to escape the very place God has brought you into. Bloom where you're planted. The first thing that God tells the Hebrew people in exile is to live there, to be present and purposeful. The second thing He says is to lead there, to remember your true citizenship, to retain your distinctiveness in order to make a difference. Let's look at verse 10. In verse 10, we read, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And this seems like a paradox, right? God says at first, make this your home. And yet He says, in 70 years, I will bring you back home. Which is which? Now, what He's saying here is this, be present here, make it your home. But remember, you are not permanent here. You have an ultimate home. God can do amazing things through His people when we allow our discomforts to be used for His purpose. Historians say that it was during this time of exile that the Jews began to compile the psalms and to practice their Sabbath rest. Far from their homes, away from the comforts of familiarity, the Jews began to sing out psalms and observe rest. It was during this time that they also made synagogues. This satellite temple scattered across the ancient world, far away from Jerusalem. Far from their one temple in Jerusalem, these new communities of people began to learn how to be carriers of God's presence in a world that needs Him. And this would foreshadow one day the kind of church that God would make, a community of psalm-singing, Sabbath-keeping, presence-carrying people who would be dispersed throughout the world and who would change the world for God. Again and again, God's people would have their identity and hope forged in a time of displacement. So I wanna ask you a question today. How might God be reforging you in a season of displacement? God has been known to do His best work in our weakest, least comfortable moments. And when we understand that we are resident aliens, people who are neither citizens of this world, who are completely absorbed into the culture of society, nor tourists of this world who are detached from the culture of society. We have one eye on our responsibility to our city and one eye on the heavenly city that we will one day return to. Ephesians 2 verse 18 and 19 says this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Hope for the city starts when we hold on to a hope that isn't circumstantial or temporary, but genuine and eternal. This hope means that even in our earthly, even if our earthly biological home is dysfunctional, difficult, or even divided, you are members of God's household. You are part of His home. And you can invite others to know the love of the Father and be part of a family that they never had. You see, we can only make a difference if we live out that difference. And you are distinct in your identity. The Bible says of us that we are loved by the Father, remarkably made. We are chosen, forgiven, strong in Christ. We are abundantly blessed. We are children of the King. Throughout history, when Christians step up, society is transformed. And while we must recognize also the mistakes that Christians have made over the years, The data tells us that faith in Christ always makes a difference. In a study by America Today, it was found that people who go to church once a week or more give 3.5 times more to charity than their circular peers. They volunteer twice as much. They are less likely to commit domestic violence and they are less likely to commit at least 43 other crimes. Christianity is the biggest movement for hope and justice in all of history but you can only lead with hope if you choose to be proximate. I'm fascinated by the story of Simeon Stylites who lived in the fifth century AD. It was a time when some Christians thought that actually the only way that they could be more like Christ was to be isolated, sheltered away from the dirty culture of the world. So Simeon decided to live on a pillar away from the reach and grime of the world, quite literally living on a pillar. He spent 37 years on top of a pillar, 50 feet off the ground to isolate himself from the world. And actually, this inspired other imitators, and they called themselves the Pillar Saints. A man called Anatole of France heard about Simeon, and he too wanted to be a holy man, a Christ follower. He didn't want to be tainted by the dirt of the culture of the world. But, you know, he didn't have a pillar nearby, and he had a family. So he decided to make for himself a pillar of sorts. He went to his kitchen table. He took out a stool. He put a white garment on himself. He sat on this little homemade pillar in his kitchen. And then he went into holy mode. Mm-hmm. And everything was going well until his family returned home. And they thought he had totally lost it. And they actually made fun of him. And it made him so miserable that he actually left the kitchen table. And reflecting on his attempt at isolation, he would write these famous words later, I soon perceived that it is a very difficult thing to be a saint while living with your own family. (laughs) You know, many of us find it difficult to be saints in our own home, but Christian holiness is less about avoiding others and more about proximity with people. And the more you know God, the more you will care for what He loves and He really loves people. This city doesn't need holy people sitting on pillars. It needs holy people on their office chairs, in their school corridors, in their futsal courts, in their kitchens, in their houses, who will extend the love of the Father to the lonely, the last, and the least. So how do we have and bear the hope for the city? Live there, make it your home, lead there, make a difference, and finally, love there in verse 7 we read also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which i have carried you into exile pray to the lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper i love this famous story out of spain of a father and a son who had become estranged from each other the son ran away and the father set out to look for him And he searched for months, but he couldn't find his son. And finally, in a last act of desperation to find his son, the father put out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office by noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On that Saturday, 800 young men named Paco showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their father. You know, there's something universal about coming home, looking for the love of a family that we long for. Maybe you grew up in a loving family and maybe you remember your childhood fondly, but maybe you don't. The home can be a place of mixture. It represents some of our best and worst moments, our earliest memories, our most human moments of life. For some of us, the home can be a place of trauma and hurt. When God said, seek the peace of the city, he used an old Hebrew word called shalom. Now, there isn't an English word that comes close to describing what shalom truly is. It's not just the absence of fear, but the fullness of life. It's how God has always meant the world to be. I love this quote by Plantinga, and he describes shalom like this, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing when the Creator and Savior opens the doors and welcomes the creatures in whom He delights. In other words, shalom is like coming home to the family that you've always needed, as the Father opens the door to you. But to pray for the shalom of your enemies, this is nothing short of revolutionary. You see, no civilization would ever think of helping their conquerors by actively trying to help them flourish. That would be like loving your enemies. And yet, this is what Jesus would later say, years later in Matthew 5. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, it's impossible to pray for someone without loving them. And when God said, Seek the shalom of the city and pray to the Lord for it, he was saying, love this city like I love it. I wonder what would God do with a church that would give herself in love and service to this city? What would change? In 2022, as the world began to recover from the lockdowns, a group of young adults heard about the Chinese Alpha film series and they began to pray this radical idea. They wanted to invite all their Parents to an alpha online that they would run for them, where for 10 weeks they would host their parents who stayed in different cities across the country to let them explore what it means to have a Christian faith. And they prayed into this idea. And as they ran this course around week seven of the alpha, they organized a weekend away retreat for their parents. And then one of the young adults who organized this felt God tell him two things. The first was to have all the children wash their parents' feet. And the second, was to write a note of thanksgiving to their parents. And as you can imagine, this was a crazy thought. Asians know how awkward it is to express their love to their family members. It doesn't always come naturally to everyone, but they knew that God was in this and it would become a clear demonstration of who Christ is like. And so this group of young adults got their parents to take a seat that day, and they began to wash their feet and they wept as they prayed for their parents, as God transformed their relationships that day. And over the next few weeks, every parent came to follow Jesus. Jeremiah 29 verse seven says this, if the city prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is not just a tit for tat, a practical logic, if you like, that if the city does well, then of course you will benefit. It is much more. It is how God has designed us to flourish, For when we are most alive, most at peace, this is when we are actively pursuing to contribute to the shalom of the city. If the city prospers, you too will prosper. And that's why it's worth stopping to pick up that piece of garbage on the walkway. That's why we care for our next door neighbors. That's why we vote even when our vote counts less because of gerrymandering. That's why we seek for ways to help others who look different from us, for when we are part of God's plan to bring hope to the city, the city would know Jesus, the hope of the nations. Amen. So wherever you are right now, why don't we take this moment to pray, to pray for the Lord of the city, to give us a vision for the city that He's called us to. And you may want to raise your hands just like this, as we pray this old ancient prayer that through the ages, Christians have prayed time and time again, come Holy Spirit, we wait for you. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, we read these famous words, the Lord saying to his people in exile, who have lost all hope to return, who are given false hopes that their return would be swift. God says to those in exile, I know my plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And if you are in a season right now where you feel like an exile, you can know a living hope that is genuine, that is everlasting, that comes from the person that you can trust. hope of the nations so jesus we receive today the hope that comes from you as we worship you right now in jesus name amen